0: But right now I want to welcome you to our Good Friday service, the day we commemorate the death of our Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross to pay for our sins. And tonight I have an interesting title. I, I believe God gave it to me, okay, because I was thinking about the message and I just just popped into my head and I thought, okay, and then the Lord started giving me stuff to kind of go along with it. But it's an interesting title for our Good Friday message. I'm calling it covid and the cross now before you think it irreverent to put COVID in the same title with the cross and tune me out please hear me out okay of course when COVID-19 was first diagnosed virologists and infectious disease doctors you know didn't really know what they were looking at you know didn't really know what they were up against for all they knew at the time it could be like you know, the bubonic plague or Ebola, something like that. Doctors didn't really know how bad it could be. It had the potential, they thought, to wipe out millions. You know, of course, in the 14th century, bubonic plague wiped out between 75 and 200 million in Europe. So, you know, it could have been one of those deals. I remember that um, at the very beginning, you know, when the thing all first started, that we began to hear about this, um, Again, we didn't remember, we didn't know at that time what the virus was capable of. So when I went out to the store to get groceries and supplies, I wore an N95 mask and surgical gloves. Then when I brought the stuff home, Cindy quickly took a Clorox wipe and wiped all the plastic bags because obviously COVID had attached itself to our precious supplies from that contaminated grocery store. (laughs) And she handed me a what? I had to go out to the car, wipe down the steering wheel, all the things I touched, you know we had to be safe, right? And uh, that went on for a few weeks. But as time went on, uh, infectious disease doctors determined that COVID wasn't the killer they thought it might be. In fact, virologists determined that roughly from the age of one to 65, the cure rate for COVID-19 was about 99.7%. However, this didn't stop the mass hysteria that by this time had really taken control of people Many refused to believe the pandemic wasn't as, uh, as dangerous or as bad as they were initially led to believe. That hasn't stopped some people, though, from being terrified. We just came back from Phoenix where we visited our son and his family and all. And at the airport, waiting to board the plane to come back to Chicago, uh, a family walks in. And they were all wearing a double mask and a full face shield. And I'm thinking, these poor folks are terrified. They're terrified. And I don't belittle that. I don't criticize that. I mean, people are genuinely terrified. I mean, there's definitely been a lot of hype, hysteria, and misinformation surrounding this disease, stoked by, you know, politicians, by the reckless and feckless news media and big business who I think have a political end or a financial stake in keeping people living in fear of this disease and yet with a mortality rate of 0.03 or in other words with 99.7% of the people infected with COVID making a full recovery it seems like most of the fear and hysteria has been blown out of proportion. Now listen, I am not trying to say or minimize the pain of families that have lost people to COVID. I mean, I've heard of several pastors who have died uh, from COVID. A couple of our Calvary pastors, okay, that we have heard about. I'm just saying that with such a low overall death rate as COVID-19, it isn't the Black Death. It was hyped and is still being hyped to be. Now, look, it's hard to know exactly how many people have died from COVID. I believe personally the numbers are being inflated. How do you know that? Because I've heard uh, hospital people talking about how they were told by their supervisors to categorize, you know, all kinds of deaths under COVID. They get more money for treating COVID patients, right? Uh, It got so bad, one young guy died of a motorcycle accident, COVID, on the death certificate. Now, that's ridiculous, right? And there's many others that, you know, will will have have bore witness to that. But I don't want to go there tonight. That's not my intent at all. I'm just saying, even if COVID had a kill rate of 50%, like, again, Ebola or bubonic plague, listen, it would still pale by comparison with another pandemic that has been unleashed upon the human race. This pandemic has a 100% kill rate. In other words, everyone infested with this disease every single person without exception is going to die and the bad news is everybody every person born into the human race is infected with this disease every single person and there's only one cure without which no one will survive oh and there's some more bad news if a person dies from this pandemic they won't just die physically they will die spiritually and eternally and of course the disease I'm referring to is sin sin was injected into the bloodstream of the human race back in the Garden of Eden when Adam himself when Adam infected himself with this deadly disease when he disobeyed God and ate of the forbidden fruit that God had said they were not to eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil And once Adam was infected, well, he passed this disease down to all of his descendants, a a terminal blood disease, that if left untreated, will wind up killing every single one of Adam's children. The Bible says clearly, in Adam all die. In Adam all die. And by killing them, I mean killing them spiritually in hell for eternity, what the Bible calls the second death. Again, without exception. Now you would think that this disease would be feared and taken more seriously, far more seriously than COVID-19. As serious as that is, don't get me wrong. The problem is that people tend to only fear what they can see and, and or feel. And often people can't see or feel the effects of the disease of sin in their lives. Let me put it this way. Say you have a serious disease that, if left untreated, is going to kill you. And yet you don't realize that you've been infected with this disease. And let's say for the sake of argument, I recognize the symptoms you have because I, too, was once infected with that very same disease. And so I came to you and told you that I had a cure. For the disease you were infected with a miracle cure the only one of its kind in the entire world a cure that could save your life you would probably say to me get lost i don't have a disease i feel fine and as long as you were convinced that you were healthy well you wouldn't appreciate the cure i was offering to you because listen in your mind, you wouldn't see your need for it. But now let's imagine for the sake of argument that I began to tell you the symptoms associated with this disease. And I began to share with you the symptoms, you started to realize, wait a minute, I do have those symptoms. If I could eventually convince you that you were in fact infected with this deadly disease, then how do you think you'd feel About this cure I was offering you. Right? I mean you'd wait in line for days, weeks. You'd do whatever you had to do. To get this miracle cure. Because now you realize you have a terminal disease. And this is your only hope. And yet when it comes to a cure for the disease of sin. Again a terminal and eternally deadly disease. Well most people in our culture are ambivalent at best. When you try to tell them that they are infected with the disease of sin and the only cure is to apply the blood of jesus christ to their life by faith again the problem is that most people don't feel sick they're doing their own thing they're having a great many people having a great time they're enjoying life they're going here they're going there their baseball season started or they're you know at the Cub game whatever they don't feel there's a problem I'm talking about something serious, something that has uh, got the power to kill you, and yet they, they don't see it. They don't feel sick. They don't feel like there's a problem. And why is that? Well, because they'll tell you, and maybe you've heard this, they'll say, I'm a good person. Wait a minute, I'm a good person. I'm not sick. You know, you're talking about being sick with sin. I'm not a, a sinner. I mean, come on. I mean, uh, look at how my life is being blessed. By God, you tell God, you know, God's gonna judge me because I'm a sinner? Well come on. Look at my look at how I'm being blessed. God doesn't bless sinners like he's blessing me. Well, let me just say this to you it's like a doctor who can only help those who realize they're sick and seek. So too Jesus, the great physician, can only help those who know they're sinners and therefore in need of a Savior. You know, about 20 years ago I suffered a heart attack. I was blessed by God for the simple reason that many people don't survive their first heart attack. Their first heart attack is their last heart attack. Too many people with heart disease never know they have a problem. I didn't until it's too late. Heart disease is a silent killer. There is often no warning signs and therefore no reason to see a doctor until the attack happens. Look, it's the symptoms that let you know you're sick and in need of medical attention. Without the symptoms, a person can have advanced heart disease and be completely unaware of it until it takes their life. Look, it's not that people wouldn't want to see a doctor if they knew there was a problem, oftentimes they just don't know there's a problem until it's too late. And so let me say it again. There's another disease that has infected the human race. It's called sin. It's also deadly, only it doesn't just kill the body, it kills the soul forever. The whole human race has been infected by it, and again, it's 100% eternally fa- fatal. The problem is that most people today don't realize they have this deadly disease, or if they do recognize they're a sinner, they don't take it seriously. They don't really acknowledge the extent of it. Uh, they don't think it's a serious thing. How do I know that? Because of what they say. Because of what they say. Things like, "Well, I know I'm not perfect, morally speaking, but I think I'm. I still think I'm good enough to get into heaven." How many times have you heard that, right? And so they ignore the warning signs and don't seek help from Jesus, the great physician. With that in mind, I'd like you to turn to Matthew chapter 9. In Matthew 9, Jesus presents himself as the great physician whose whole purpose for coming to the earth was to heal the human race from the greatest pandemic in human history, the disease of sin. Let me read this to you. Matthew 9, starting at verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. Matthew, a Jew, was working for the Roman government. I mean, that was a traitor. Any Jew who worked for the Roman government was hated vehemently by the other Jews, especially the Zealots. What a sellout, okay? But um, somebody's preaching a parallel message. (laughs) Well, if it's a good one, so what? Um, So Matthew is working for the Roman government, right? And here comes Jesus. He passes by Matthew, engages him in a conversation. We see the the final point of it. Come follow me. And Jesus, excuse me, Matthew arose from his tax booth and followed Christ. You have to understand, if you walked away from a job like that, first of all, that was a job everyone wanted. Very lucrative. Because whatever you could extort from people above and beyond what Rome wanted in the area of taxes, you could keep. But if you walked away from that job, you walked away for good. So this is a big deal. What am I saying? Matthew got saved. Now, what's the first thing you want to do when you get saved? You want to tell all your family and friends about Jesus, right? You've been healed, and now you want them to be healed. And so he throws a party for all of his tax collector buddies. And invites Jesus, verse 10. Now what happened is Jesus sat at the table in the house that behold... Many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners, to repentance now you have to understand a cultural thing and that culture when you ate with somebody they believed you were becoming one with that person the pharisees would never i believe they were there observing i believe they were there looking for something uh, at matthew's little soiree to, to to hold against jesus and his disciples right I'm sure they weren't eating with these tax collectors and sinners because the Pharisees would never have wanted to become one with people like this. Uh, They just were beneath them, right? But they were interested in finding something they could condemn Jesus for at Matthew's celebration. And sure enough, they did. You know, if if you're looking for, you know, people come to a church, you're looking to find fault in some area, you'll find it. There's no perfect church, right? So these guys sure found what they were looking for. They found the perfect justification for their condemnation of Jesus and his disciples when Jesus ate with sinners. Think of it. Eating with sinners. The crux of the passage, guys, is the statement by Jesus, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who... Who are sick, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, the analogy is simple, obviously. Just as a physician doesn't waste time with the well, because they don't need a doctor, the physician spends his or her time among the sick. Simple idea. So too the Savior isn't needed among those who think. Don't miss that who think they're spiritually well, and therefore goes to those who recognize they're sinners in need of a Savior. Don't miss this. Jesus wasn't implying the Pharisees were well spiritually and didn't need Him. What He was saying is, they thought they were the most righteous guys in the world, and they didn't need this Jesus, who was spending all of His time with these reprobates, right? Uh, All these sinners... They didn't realize that they were also sinners. And maybe in some ways bigger than anyone else. Because sinners who know they're sinners and come to the Savior are more humble than those who are sinners and don't think they need the Savior. There's a lot of pride and arrogance there. But look, Jesus can only save sinners. People who know they're sinners, people who know that they are infected with the disease of sin and on their way to hell, He can't save people who think that they're basically good and therefore deserving of heaven. That is why John the Baptist, Jesus, Peter, and Paul all began their preaching of the gospel with the word repent. Repent. Repentance involves the recognition and confession of sin. Which is essential before a person will come to Jesus or can come to Christ to save them, to heal them from their sin. Look, no one will see their need for the Savior who doesn't first see themselves as a sinner. Paul made this very clear when he wrote to Timothy, 1 Timothy 1, verse 15. He said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save, listen, sinners, not decent folks, not good people, But he came into the world to save sinners, Paul said, of whom I am chief. One evangelist said something very good, something very, you know, to the point at this, you know, in this juncture. He said, we got to get people lost before we can get them saved. Look, repentance from sin is the first step before a person can believe the gospel for salvation. The word gospel means good news. But as we have said many times before, the announcement of good news implies the presence of something bad. Bad news, right? Somebody bursts into a meeting and says, hey, I've got good news. Often that implies the presence of something bad that the good news is going to now counteract or solve the problem. In this case, the bad news was that we're all fallen sinners. We're all descendants of Adam. When Adam blew it in the Garden of Eden for himself, he blew it for all of us. Everyone born of Adam has been born with this disease called sin connected to them. It's robbing them of their life physically. It will rob them of their life spiritually for eternity. But that's the bad news. And it's even worse than that. We are lost sinners but that is also a hopeless condition. Nothing we can do can ever pull us out of that situation, right? This is the ultimate I have sinned, excuse me, I have fallen and can't get up scenario. You know, remember that old, was it? Was that, was that this, I forgot what product that was being sold, right? What was it? Life alert. Life alert, okay. I've fallen and I can't get up. Uh, that goes back to the Garden of Eden. <laughs> I don't know if they took it from that, but When Adam sinned and fell, the whole human race fell with him. And we couldn't get up. We could no longer ever go back to that perfect state that Adam enjoyed when God first created him. Adam and Eve, right? We were all now fallen sinners. Um, Just what is sin? You know, we Christians throw these things around, but often we can't even define the, the terms we're using. If somebody asked us, "Well, what is sin?" Let me just say quickly: the word for sin in the in the in the Greek is a word that literally means to miss the mark. It was originally an archery term for hitting the bullseye on a target. Now, the Bible says in Romans three twenty three that all have sinned. In other words, all have missed the mark. Of course, the next question is, "Well, what is the mark, or you know, what is the bullseye? What what does that represent?" Well, Paul gives us the answer in Romans 3.23 when he said, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So what is the glory of God? Well, the glory of God is his, listen, sinless perfection. In that regard, every person who has ever lived has fallen short of sinless perfection. Or to put it another way, the sinless perfection that Paul is referring to in Romans 3.23 is to is the perfect keeping of the law of God. Perfectly keeping the law of God. In the Old Testament, God's law contained 613 commandments. To break any one of them was to miss the mark and be guilty of sin. But let's not deal with all 613. Okay, we haven't got the time tonight. Let's just limit ourselves to the ten we are most familiar with, the ten commandments. And by the way, they're not the ten suggestions, they're the ten commandments. Look, these commandments, for lack of a better illustration, these commandments, uh, ten of them, are like the wooden boards that make up the hull of a ship, the ship being your life. And as you sail your life to heaven, hopefully, uh, you know, your life is the ship. And the hull of this little uh, ship, boat, none of us can really afford a ship, a rowboat, okay? Let's be realistic, okay? So our life is like a little rowboat made up of ten planks that make up the hull, and each one is one of the commandments of God. (laughs) It doesn't matter. If you keep most of the commandments if only one is missing one board on that hull is missing or broken guess what that ship is going under the same is true for the person who chooses to get to heaven by the law in other words by keeping the commandments of god it doesn't matter if they keep most of them this is the fallacy so many people think if they just keep most of the commandments they're going to make it into heaven they don't realize what the Bible actually says of the subject. It doesn't matter if they keep most of them. Listen. If any commandment is broken, even once that person is sunk, they're condemned. Listen to what James says. James chapter 2, verse 10. For whoever shall keep the whole law, yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of breaking all. Now let me let, let that sink in. Just say for the sake of argument, you could keep all of God's commandments your whole life, and then at the end of your life, you break one of them. You would think that God would give you a pass, right? I mean, after all, Lord, I've kept, kept all these commandments all of my life. I just broke one. God says, I'm sorry. To get into heaven, you have got to be perfect. You break one commandment one time, and guess what, folks? None of us here has ever broken one commandment one time. Okay? I'm just speaking hypothetically. You break one commandment your entire life, you're now a guilty sinner. That's why Paul the Apostle calls the law, the commandments of God, a curse. A curse. It's because it makes salvation dependent upon a person keeping all the commandments without fail to get into heaven that's a curse nobody can make it in other words in other words the law demands moral perfection from a person to gain access into heaven and let's not forget that in Matthew chapter 5 Sermon on the Mount Jesus said it's not just the outward actions of your life God is looking at it's the inward attitudes so if you, look at somebody with hatred in your heart in the eyes of god you're a murderer if you look at a woman with lust in your heart in the eyes of god you're an adulterer it's not just about actually physically breaking commandments it's what's going on in the heart and god looks at the heart all sin begins in the heart sometimes it's never translated into actual physical actions yet god in god's eyes you're still guilty so when you realize that you understand now why the law is a curse if you're going to try to use it to get to heaven. And yet when I ask people, as I've done over the years, if you were to die tonight, would God let you into heaven, do you think? Almost always without fail they say yes. And so, I, so I press it a little bit. Okay, well, why do you feel that way? Why do you feel that God would let you into heaven if you were to die tonight? Because I'm a good person. I'm a good person. And I know that I'm not perfect, morally speaking, but I still think I'm good enough to get into heaven. What they don't understand, what God's Word is clearly saying, if you're not morally perfect, you are not good enough to get into heaven. A lot of folks have never heard that. We have grown up with a works righteousness theology in our country. What does that mean? You do good works, God rewards you with heaven. If your good deeds outweigh your de- bad deeds through the course of your life, you tip the scale just a little bit, done a few more good things than bad, God says, Come on in. The devil has deceived, listen, millions upon millions of people over the centuries because he's convinced them you're a good person, you're not perfect. But you're a good person, and God is loves you, and wants He's gonna let you come into His kingdom. They don't realize um, it's all or nothing at all. You know, it, it, it's 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 not I'm good enough, or I'm better than most, therefore I deserve heaven. Listen, it's either sinless perfection or eternal rejection. On the day of judgment, God rejecting you because you're not perfect. Because you're standing there in your own self-righteousness. Again, Romans 3.23, all have sinned. All have missed the mark and fall short of the glory of God, fall short of his sinless perfection. Romans 6.23, and the wages of sin is death. Hell forever. You might be thinking to yourself, what are you talking about? Nobody could live a sinless life. Nobody could live a life of sinless perfection. Well, that's not true. One man did. His name is Jesus. The Bible teaches that if we put our faith in him, well, he he takes our sin upon himself, the cross, and in turn he puts his righteousness to our account so that we get to heaven, not because we're worthy, not because we deserve it, but because we're in Him. And therefore, because of what Jesus did, I get to heaven. People sometimes get very upset when you talk in terms like, you know, you think you're going to heaven? Yeah. What? How could you be so arrogant? You, you think you, 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 you're so good, you think you're, you're going to heaven? No, I'm not that good at all. Well, then what are you talking about? Well, you see, I'm in Christ. And Jesus lived the perfect life. And He told me if I put my faith in Him, well, He would take His perfection and put it to my account. And take all my sins and put it on Himself. He died for those sins on Calvary's Cross. Got nothing to do with me. Salvation is not, you know, we don't get to heaven because we deserve it. We get it because of what Christ did and I put, put our faith in Him, right? You see, guys, except for that last part, this has all been pretty much the bad news. And a lot of folks don't realize the extent of the bad news. Again, they don't know they're sick. They don't know they've been infected with a terminal, eternally terminal disease called sin. And they don't realize that because their life is pretty good here in America. You know, really? Here in America, people live, you know, they live good lives for the most part. Uh, There's a lot of uh, blessings, and they see all the blessings that they have in their life as God smiling on them, a proof that God accepts them. God doesn't bless sinners. I'm a good person. You know the story. You have to tell them the bad news before you can tell them the good news. This is why the Pharisees rejected Christ and went to hell they refused to acknowledge they were sinners. They kept the law in their minds perfectly. No, they didn't. But they had deceived themselves into thinking they kept the law like nobody else could ever keep the law and they were righteous. So they died and 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 are going to be eternally separated from God because they refused to acknowledge they were sinners. Now, for those who have acknowledged that they're sinners who realize that they are sinners they have fallen short of the glory of god they're not perfect and the wages of sin is death but here's the good news but the gift of god is eternal life through jesus christ our lord right that's the good news the gift of god right a gift is something you don't earn you receive for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in jesus would not have to perish and have have everlasting life Look, today, as Jesus' disciples, we are the spiritual physicians of the Great Commission. It's our job, as Jesus commissioned us, to go into all the world and tell everybody about the good news. To do that, though, we have to first tell them the bad news. You know, this idea that churches have fostered, where they've reduced the gospel to happy talk, you ever been to a church like that? It's, it's all happy talk. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. You know, it's all about the blessings. It's all about how much God loves you. And it's all the gospel is all about how God's going to make you prosperous and he's going to heal you of all diseases. And, and you'll have the biggest business, the biggest house in town, the, the most successful business, and all this stuff, right? It's happy talk. Come to Jesus and you're going to be really happy. That's not what the Bible says about the gospel. As we've said before, let me say it again. The gospel is kind of like the tornado siren that goes off in the middle of the night. You think that thing is designed to make you feel happy. Three o'clock in the morning. It it knocks you out of your bed and puts fear into your heart. Why? Because something bad is coming. That's what that siren represents. I better take shelter quick. Something bad is coming, and I'm not going to survive it if I don't take it seriously. That's what the gospel is, folks. It's God's warning. As Jesus said in John 3, that those who do not believe in the Son, the wrath of God abides on them. Judgment's coming. And they're not going to escape. And the only way they can escape is if they run to Jesus for refuge, Right? Take up refuge in Christ. The gospel is like that alarm siren. When the church started packaging the gospel as happy talk to fill church to fill pews, shame on them. Because they were derelict in their duty to warn people. Not to placate. Not to make, make them feel good about themselves. Not to bolster their fragile self-esteem, which a lot of churches are doing. It's all about self-esteem, and we never say anything negative. We're, all, we're a very positive church. That means you're a very apostate church. Because Jesus Christ spoke of hell more than he spoke of love or of heaven. Because <laughs> he didn't want anyone to go there. We are to faithfully tell people again that they have a terminal disease that if left untreated will kill them eternally. And the only cure is the blood of Jesus Christ which is applied to their life by faith. But again, again, the problem is that most people don't feel sick. Again, their lives are being blessed. Or so they think. They're doing well. They don't feel there's a problem. Like, I didn't know I had heart disease. Everything seems fine. So they really don't see their need for a Savior because they don't see themselves as sinners. Proverbs 20, verse 6. Pretty much everyone declares themselves a good person. But guys, Jesus can only help those who know they're sinners and in need of a Savior. And that's why he told us to go into all the world and tell people the bad news first. That they're not good people. That even though God loves them, they are on their way to hell. Remember the story of the rich young ruler? Mark's gospel is the only one that says to us, Jesus looked at him and loved him. But he still went away without receiving Christ because he wanted to to hold on to his money and riches and so on. And I interpret that to mean he eventually went to hell. Look, God loves people. God loves the whole world. Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. We have said before, look, God's love is an awesome thing, but God's love can't save you. God's love can't save anybody. It has never saved anybody. What it has done is provide a way by which people might be saved by sending his son to die for our sins. That whoever what? Believes in Jesus. And that's more than just what head knowledge. That's a life commitment. Like when you believe this young gal that you started to date is a wonderful gal, you think you can marry this girl, and and, and you think she's wonderful, and you believe she could be the best wife in the world. It's not until you actually make the commitment to her, right? In front of God and family. And you make the commitment to her that you enter into marriage, and now you are one with each other. Same is true with Christ. A lot of folks think because they went to church, grew up in church, they believe Jesus is the Son of God, died for their sins. They believe all the right stuff. They just have never said, Lord Jesus, I want to make a commitment to you. In essence, I want to be married to you. Isn't that what the new covenant is all about? He's the bridegroom, or the bride. Oh, but what if they tell me they don't see themselves as sinners? Uh, again what if they don't feel sick with the disease of sin that has infected them well maybe you could tell them some of the symptoms okay I mean Paul listed some of those symptoms in Galatians 5 they're sprinkled throughout the Old New Testament right uh, but why don't you turn to Galatians 5 for just a second as we kind of wrap this up oh I'm fine you ever hear that you know, you, you know you're you're, you're you're a sinner. You're sick with sin. You're going to die. Go to hell. Oh, I'm fine. I don't feel sick. God's blessed. Me and the big guy are good. You ever hear that? Me and the big guy are good. I'm going to cringe. Now I know you're not saved. Because no true Christian would ever call God the big guy upstairs. We're tight. Oh, boy. But, you know, in Galatians 5... Paul talked about the lust of the flesh. What is the flesh? Guys, listen to me. It is the disease that we inherited from Adam, right? It's our fallen sin nature. The thing that is going to, to send us to hell for eternity if not dealt with. And Paul said, Look, we were all infected with this. We inherited from our father uh, Adam a terminal disease. He's, he passed down to all of his descendants. Here's some of the symptoms. Let me read it to you. Galatians 5, starting with verse 19. Paul said, When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, that's drug use, hallucinogenic drug use, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, Outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. I get the impression you'd have gone on for a couple days. Anybody here remember these symptoms before you got saved? I do. Was I the worst sinner in town? No. I was still a sinner. I probably trafficked in all of these to some degree. And once again, guys, these are all symptoms of the terminal disease that has infected the human race. In Ephesians chapter 2, you have to turn there. After giving us the symptoms of our condition in that passage, Paul the Apostle then gives us the prognosis, the consequences. He said in verse three, Ephesians 2 verse 3, And we were by nature children of wrath, just as others. And what Paul is saying was, we were doomed to spend eternity in hell before Christ. That is the hopeless condition the human race, apart from Jesus Christ, finds itself in. It's hopeless because man is helpless to change his condition, again, as we talked about. Put it another way, man has a bad heart. Man has a bad heart. It's been infected by sin, and as such it's untreatable. Untreatable. It's been corrupted beyond repair, which means that fallen man will die. That heart is going to condemn him to hell forever. The second death, right? Remember Jeremiah 17:9. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. It's corrupted beyond repair. God doesn't fix your old heart, does he? He just gives you a new one. And that's the cure, guys. Man needs a new heart. The problem is, man can't change his own heart. Only God can do that. Remember what David cried in Psalm 51? Create in me a clean heart. Who? oh God, oh God. And God responded in Ezekiel 36, verse 26, I will give you a new heart. He's talking about the new covenant. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh, your fallen heart, and give you a heart of flesh, a new heart that is sensitive to my word, to my will. How does God do that? He does it when you put your trust in his son, Jesus Christ. Without putting your faith in Jesus, guys, listen, there is no hope of eternal life, ever having eternal life in heaven. And you will die in your sins and spend eternity in hell. That's the bad news. It doesn't have to be that way. Because God's offering is cure to anyone who wants it. The New Testament tells us that we can never earn our salvation. It is a gift that God is offering to us by is grace grace means a free gift received by us through faith reach out and receive it of course you all know ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourself. it's a gift of god salvation is a gift of god you don't earn it you can't earn it and paul goes on to say god gives it to you as a gift when you receive his son it's not of works, lest anyone should boast. God doesn't want heaven filled with a bunch of boastful people going, oh, I deserve to be here. I was worthy. No, God wants us all to know we're unworthy sinners. And we put our faith in Christ. It's only what, because of what Jesus did that put to our account that I'm now worthy to get into heaven. Because of what Jesus did, not what I do, right? Look, guys, as we bring this to a close, many people who have a serious disease like cancer, like cancer, Um, often have it months if not years before the first symptom shows up. Of course, by that time, the disease has often progressed to the point where it is now terminal. And death is inevitable. That's why early detection is so important physically, right? The same is true with sin. Now, let me just say this. As I've talked to people who were... Missionaries, they will tell you that most people, this is what the stats show, most people get saved early in life, their teens, 20s, maybe. That doesn't mean that some don't get saved later in life, but most people get saved early in life when their hearts are still pliable, tender. You know, you you, you tack on 50 or 60 years on a person's life. My heart gets kind of hard, doesn't it? It gets very hard and obstinate. And, and life has beaten people down to the point where they hate God because God took my wife, or God didn't let me have this job, or what? People have got their hearts so hard blaming God for their problems. But that doesn't mean it's impossible. For anybody in this room who is older, To receive Christ. It's not that God is withdrawing the offer of salvation. It's that people's hearts are often so hard they don't want it. A person can go a long time before the symptoms start to catch up with them. And by that time, irreparable damage has been done. Damage, I'm talking about those who harden their hearts and are living a life of sin. They go so long living in sin often irreparable damage has been done to them. Physically, first of all, they have cirrhosis of the liver, lung disease, HIV, you know. Mentally, they're plagued by guilt and depression because of the life they've lived. And outwardly, one or more broken marriages, the inability to maintain a job or friendships. The Bible says that the way of the transgressor is what? hard woe to him or her who wrestles against their maker Jacob wrestled against his maker and what did God have to do to break him touched his hip threw it out a joint crippled him now Jacob had to submit surrender oh that sounds terrible what kind of God does that a god who loves you if God has to do something like that to break you now, to have you for eternity in heaven, he'll do that. Because this life, as much emphasis we put on it, is nothing compared to eternity. Some people are so hard-headed, so stubborn, that God has got to pull the big guns out. And when he does, other people interpret that to be a, a, a hard, cruel, and, and, and mean God. They don't realize. If God has got to do something in this life to cripple you, maybe not literally, to break you and to have you come to Jesus for salvation, he'll do that. Because this life is not more important to God than eternal life. Well, it's important to him. I'm not saying he wants to make your life miserable all the time just for the joy of it. That's not true. If you're wrestling with God tonight, let me tell you this. That is a wrestling match you don't want to win. Because you know what the prize is? Hell. He's wrestling with you to break you. To get you to surrender your life to Jesus. Look guys, sin will beat you up. It will wear you out. It will eat you away like cancer. And I believe it's doing that very thing to some of you here tonight. And no doubt to some who are watching online. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Well, I'm my own person. I don't bow the knee to anybody. Well, that's wonderful. So so the prize is hell. And that's what you're shooting for? Let me tell you this. The Bible says someday every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. The only difference between those who do it now and those who wait till the day of judgment to do it is salvation or damnation? Please don't give me this. You're your own person. You know, nobody tells you what to do. You're, you know, it reminds me of Ernest Hemingway. You've all heard of Hemingway, right? He was a man's man. He was a hunter, he was a fighter, he was a drinker, a womanizer. And people were always witnessing to him, Ernest, you got you're a sinner, you're you're going to hell, you know, and, and, and repent and receive Jesus before it's too late. He would laugh at them. He wouldn't mock them. He didn't need Jesus. That's for weak people. He didn't need God. I'm my own person, wealthy, famous. You know, I had all this thing going for him until about ten or fifteen years later. When this whole world came crashing down emotionally. And he took his favorite shotgun, put it in his mouth and pulled the trigger. Just because you're riding high right now, doesn't mean your life is right with God. Doesn't mean it's going to always be riding high. And I'm telling you, the devil is out to steal, kill and destroy. He wants to kill you. Now God wants to break you to bring you to Christ to save you. If you keep resisting, resisting, no God, no God, the fool says in his heart, no God. That doesn't necessarily mean he's an atheist. It just means he's defiantly rebelling against God's will. But if you keep resisting, refusing to come to Christ, at one point the devil has his way and he pushes you into some situation where you're either going to commit suicide or you're going to die of an overdose or something else is going to take your life. The way the transgressor is hard, you can't live a life of overt sin and not suffer uh, it emotionally and physically, let alone spiritually. Guys, how much better to repent and receive God's cure by accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And listen, getting that new heart and the new life that comes along with it. Anyone in Christ is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. Guys, the great physician is ready to perform a spiritual heart transplant on you today, right now, if you're willing. Look, COVID, cancer, heart, something is going to take your life. Something's going to take all of our lives. But the blood of Jesus Christ shed on Calvary's cross will cure and save your soul for all eternity. Here's what God has in store for us who have bowed the knee to Christ. Here is our future someday. Revelation 21 verse 4, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. For the former things, this life, is passed away. Another place says it won't even be remembered. That's what God is wanting for you, to spend eternity with him in heaven. Can you imagine an existence where there's no more sorrow, pain, crying, tears, death, where there's only joy unspeakable, full of glory? Let's pray, and then i like to celebrate communion. I want to pray first, because if you've received Christ, Tonight, right now, you can join us in having communion. Because communion is for God's children, right? Those who understand we're sinners, but now we've been saved by the blood of Christ, and we celebrate that at the Lord's Supper. So if you want to be a part of that, especially if you want to go to heaven, pray with me. Simple prayer, got to come from the heart. Just silently in your heart, just repeat. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you died for sinners. I believe that I am a sinner. I believe that you died for me. And right now I ask you to come into my heart. To take up residence in my heart. To be the king of my life. Lord, I want to turn my life over to you. Please take control. Please lead my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Make me a new creation. Give me the grace to live for you from this moment on. And give me grace to tell everyone I know and come in contact with what the great physician has done for me. That they also may receive healing forgiveness of sins, and eternal life in you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I ask all this in your precious name. Amen.